Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the 100th episode. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. in motion as we kick off 2024. As you heard in our introduction, it is our 100th episode. Unfortunately, we didn't do anything super big, but we did bring in a very large guest to help us today. So I am joined by the one and the only Becca Hibbert. Hello. And I'm not the big guest, by the way. And our very own professor, Charleston De La Cruz. I uh, actually prefer the term thick with two C's, please. (laughs) Maybe three if I go in and out. So, Becca, why don't you take a little bit of time and let's highlight what Charleston will be speaking on at the huddle. And then we will get to know our special guest speaker and jump right into today's topic. I would love to do that. So just from a personal standpoint, I've been really lucky. I've worked with Charleston now for about three and a half years. And if I can tell everybody one thing, if you do not know a strength coach and have not worked with one, you need to grow your network and start working with strength coaches. What I have learned from the strength coaches that work here at the Sports Institute, which includes Charleston, it just it's invaluable to what you do as a clinician. It's invaluable to just understanding how to best treat athletes. So we're very lucky to have the not large, but thick Charleston De La Cruz here with us today. He is uh, also one of our speakers at the huddle, which I'm really excited about. He spoke two years ago, and he is joining us again this year. And he's actually going to be speaking about FRC for the artistic athlete. So those athletes like gymnasts, performing arts, dancers, and he's going to talk us through at the huddle, not as much today, just a little bit about how FRC can really work for those athletes. But before we really get started in the podcast, Charleston, would you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Becca, for the kind words. I am Charleston De La Cruz. I am a former collegiate football player, uh, originally from San Diego, California. Played football in North Carolina. North Carolina Central University was there for a year, then transferred to a smaller school. Baker University in Kansas finished up their uh, scholarship playing football with a degree in exercise science. From there, I did an internship at a performance gym in San Diego, Fitness Quest 10, uh, owned by Todd Durkin. Todd Durkin was a very, or is a very well-known contributor to the early start of strength and conditioning where it got popularized, uh, along with Mike Boyle. He was on the Perform Better Circuit. Internship with him for three, three months. And then took a job in Europe as a strength and conditioning coach for an American football team in Austria. Was there for three months, came back to San Diego, served as an intern again at the same spot, and helped with NFL combine training, eventually got hired on. Fast forward seven years there, I was a direct, became a director of football there, in charge of a lot of the things dealing with football specifically. And then from there, at that time as well, 
I was an assistant strength coach at the University of San Diego. Moved to Arizona because nobody could afford San Diego. And, <laughs> and so my wife and myself moved out here in 2018, um, bounced around at a couple different places, and then joined the Fisher Institute in 2020. Now the Spooner Sports Institute. So what you're saying is you're an expert, in case nobody got that, yeah, from all sure. of the history of what Charleston has as far as experience goes in strength and conditioning. So as I mentioned, you're going to talk about FRC, specific to the artistic athlete at the huddle. But for a lot of people, because I do think it's a newer thing, especially in the physical therapy and athletic training world, maybe not as much in strength and conditioning. But first, could you just tell us, like, what is FRC? So FRC is a essentially a, a piece of the functional range systems, uh, stands for functional range conditioning. Uh, what that is, is essentially focusing on, what that is, is essentially focusing on joint space and cultivating joint space and how to do that pretty frequently. Uh, you know, you could do it as, as much as a daily basis to as much as like one or two times a week. That's how we use it with our athletes. We try to incorporate some form of that every day. We just found the the education component to it, the buy-in from the athletes to it was is very, very huge. And the athletes see great results. We see great results with ourselves and with the athletes. And I think it's one of those things, one of those pieces of um, going the extra mile or, or education that will separate yourself from others. Is it something that athletes, so you work a lot, obviously, with professional athletes, but you work with athletes of all ages. Is it something that can be implemented in youth, high school, collegiate, professional? Is there certain ages that you think it's best utilized with? Can I go on a rant or? Absolutely. All right, here we go. So I think with younger athletes, right, I've. We've had clients come in and say, hey, my my son needs to be more flexible or needs to be more mobile. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think your son or daughter needs to be involved with more sports, uh, more body, body awareness sports like martial arts, like gymnastics, like variety, right? Because I'm a huge believer in every sport will teach you something different that will lead to essentially your ultimate sport at the end of, of what you want to focus on. So when it comes to mobility from that standpoint, as far as youth goes, not huge is build coordination. When it comes to higher achieving athletes, elite level, high school, college, it's a great time to start. Uh, and when you're in your professional world, a lot of our professional athletes will adopt this and we'll ask, hey, can you show me a couple of things or can you send me videos of what we did and remind us what we did? And it's one of those things that are awesome to hear and you can always implement it and it's not and won't be detrimental to their performance. So if it's starting pitcher, you know, you do it early enough in the week and you can always vary the intensity. They have a protocol which is called the morning routine or the cars that essentially somebody should do every day. And you can knock that out as little as, you know, 60 seconds to five minutes is up to you. So not limiting it to athletes. 
I think, generally speaking, anybody could benefit from it. And as somebody who has been tortured, I mean, done cars with Charles, yeah. I'm very not mobile. Uh, I can definitely speak to it is very different than anything else that I had done previous to that as far as working on mobility. So I personally think it is a great thing. Like you said, I think we're seeing it more and more. Um, I see it in some of like just the fitness classes that I take, they'll talk about doing cars. And like you said, not just for athletes, really just mobility for people starting off the day in general, because the truth is we all need that with how much we sit um, as Americans. So a question I have on this is, you know, in your strength and conditioning role, are you, you said you use it on a regular basis with your athletes, but are there days based on what you and your fellow strength coaches here see at the Sports Institute where you make an executive decision that today is solely a mobility day where we're going to use a lot of FRC principles because we're seeing that 60, 70, 80% of our group is just fried today for whatever reason. Maybe it was planned because of what you've done from a programming standpoint, or maybe it was on the off the cusp. Is that something that you all will adopt and, and, and do a day that it's basically heavy mobility with focus on FRC and cars? Yeah, great question. We've, we've formulated over the years, you know, trial and error, right? And what's beneficial, what isn't tough to gauge uh, from a metric standpoint. But there's the eyeball test, there's the how are you feeling today test, there's the like body language test of athletes come in and you can just tell that I'm not going to do that, right? right? I'm not going to hold your attention for 20 minutes and you're going to pale and rail a ton today. There's just the, the nuances of being a experienced coach that is, is very, very helpful. So we formulated somewhat of a tentative plan where we on certain days will go a little bit quicker we'll just knock out cars then following if we knock out cars again we'll knock out two minute cars so we're just rolling through it then other days we'll go into more of a pale and rail we'll get on the ground we'll do more of upper body emphasis lower body emphasis so it's highly dependent on the workload uh what's being asked phases in our programming and, and we just try to let the athletes tell us. And we might have it on paper, but doesn't mean that we're going to do it just because it's on paper. So I hope that answered that yeah, question. Yeah, absolutely does. I think that's such an important point. It's, I actually use you as an example sometimes when I'm talking to some of our clinicians because too often we just have a plan in mind. And we just want to go with that. And we forget to check in with the athlete and really understand what they're doing. And you even talked about a little bit with like the youth athlete having a variety, because I think what we're seeing in our youth athletes is they're getting overloaded because they're in so many sports or they're in one sport and they're seeing like a position coach, they're doing regular practice and they're strength and conditioning. So if, I mean, I hope you take away a lot from this podcast, but when you listen to this podcast, please understand how important it is to be able to read your athletes, ask those questions like Charleston is saying, because you may have to change up what your plan looked like, because we don't always know what they're doing outside of our clinic, our facilities. And it's so important, like he said, that you really got to read the athlete and change your plan up if you need to do that. So thank you for mentioning that on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So kind of going to 
youth athlete, but really athlete in general, I think that strength and conditioning tends to be one of those things on social media where everybody looks like an expert or acts like an expert. And I think in this day and age, it's really hard to differentiate whether it's for that parent or for the athlete, what they should be looking for. So would you mind just providing a few tips? Like what should an athlete look for? What questions maybe should they ask when they're seeking out a strength and conditioning coach? Like how do how do we make sure that they're seeing the right people that are really going to take care of their body in the correct way? Also another great question. I think the uh, answer to that is coming to the Spooner Sports Institute and seeing one of us. Uh, <laughs> I would second that. That's all they need to know. <laughs> no, I think seriously, uh, this is a very saturated industry, especially on the sports performance side, because you got former players that went through a great strength and conditioning program through college and now they could train on their own uh, or position coaches that kind of ride the line. I think the best way to put it is that all pieces of your performance team should complement each other. So if you're working with a physical therapist, the physical, physical therapist should work with a strength coach. The strength coach should work with a position coach and all, you know, working on the athlete Venn diagram ish. Right. And I think that's huge. And, you know, when it comes to trying to pick those people out, I think the, the proof is proof is in the pudding and, and stop looking at the most superficial things of who they worked with and, Oh, this guy trained. I don't know. Cam, Cam Newton. One of the greatest athletes to ever play the game of football. I'm just kidding. That's not necessarily true. But uh, it doesn't matter who they trained. And I think you can get a lot of information on uh, reaching out to the athletes that are currently working with them, right? Whether, I mean, there's ways to find those people, you know, like, oh, I saw this person was tagged in this video. Let me ask them how their training is. Uh, I think authenticity for me goes a long way with this and i think the more red flags for me right the more sales that you come across the less i'm gonna look into that uh, i think athletes should look, do the same thing i think the Dion Sanders said it best you know uh like years ago before he was with colorado or anything like that um he was talking about he was he was at a camp and he said you know parents Pay attention. Stop stop investing into these sports-specific things. Trainers, stop stealing money from these people. Like, this is hard-earned money, and you're stealing. You know, there, there's people out there that will do, like, you know, they built up the name for themselves, host a camp for 300 kids, charge them all $300, and that person shows up for an hour, and then they're gone. You know, that's a quick payday. So those are the kind of things that kind of – irritate me with the industry and just because you have a name just because you have time in the field doesn't mean you know the science to it doesn't mean you put in the reps the hours um you know i, I could go on for a while about this okay so what i'm hearing you say is really and correct me if i'm wrong but Part of when an athlete is looking for members that are going to improve their performance, whether it's a strength and conditioning coach, it's a skill coach, it's 
a, a rehab specialist, an athletic trainer, you're part of what you're saying is you need to find individuals who are willing to collaborate and say, I know my arena. I have enough humility and knowledge to know I don't know your arena very well. I have enough of an understanding of what you do in strength and conditioning to say that that is outside of my knowledge. I need to find somebody who is willing to collaborate on behalf of the athlete and really place the athlete at the center rather than them and their ego at the center. That is way better than what I put it as. That is much more articulate than what I just said. But yeah, that's essentially what it is. You know, the humility to not be okay, not knowing the, you know, what's on the other side, what's in your, what's not in your lane and acting like that and, and knowing that that's okay. Even for me, if I'm working with, I play defensive line in college, doesn't mean I'm going to do position work with a current defensive lineman in today's game because that game truthfully has changed. What I've learned is different. Do I know concepts? Yes, but I still suggest that they go see a defensive line specialist, coach, and wherever their feedback is, I want to know about it so I could help biomechanics. I could help mobility. I could help them access, you know, why can't he get his hips this way? Oh, maybe because he's locked up. Let's get him an athlete screen. Let's have him see one of our PTs. And then we can reverse engineer from there and see what happens. Yeah. And I always tell our clinicians and other athletic trainers at the end of the day, I think the way you know a great sports medicine provider is that they're willing to say to you, I am not the person for this, but I can help you find the right person. And I think when you hear people recognize their lane, so to speak, but they're willing to, they have the network, they're willing to help you find those resources. I think that's when you've identified somebody who, as you both said, knows how to drop the ego, knows if I concentrate on this part, the strength and conditioning that you're very good at, like if I focus on this, I know I can do this at the highest level and the other things, I know the resources and I can bring other people in. And I think too often what we see in the wrong providers, whether it's a strength coach, an athletic trainer, a physical therapist, physician, whatever it is, those are the people that are like, I'm everything to you and anything you need it's here versus the willingness to, and just being honest that we don't know it all. And why would we want to, when there's all these other great people that can, can kind of supplement what we do. And I know working with you for the past three and a half years, I see you do that all the time, asking questions. Like you said, you even played football, but that doesn't mean that you're like, let me teach you how to change or do this position now. So you also just recognize that your expertise is in strength and conditioning. And that is invaluable no matter what you do in sports medicine, which is also a lot about why the huddle is the way the huddle is, is because we want different sports medicine professionals all talking about what they're the experts in. And then we learn from those individuals versus being like, oh, I'm the person that can provide that all for an athlete. So I think it's, it's the best point that we can make is ultimately like you have to be able to drop the ego. And when you're working with people that are unable to do that, they, you might not be in the right place. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's you. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the ego part and in, in being able to work in collaboration with your, you know, sports medicine team. One 
there was there was one specific example of an athlete that did just this. You know, it came to the point where financially, you know, had the trust of, you know, a free agent guy and was saying, hey, I need to make some decisions here. Uh, I, I don't know what it's going to lead to. And but I need I know I need to work on my skill rather than and I'm not saying this to like boost myself at all. But rather than saying, hey, I could do this for you. And let me let me do this. I I told him because uh, he gave me the best compliment after this. I told him, hey, even if you reallocate your money, you are in amazing shape right now because of the work we put in. Even if you reallocate your money, invest in a position coach. Honestly, this is going to probably get me fired. <laughs> invest in a position coach, right? And then whatever he sees, report back, and we can work on that together. But, you know, find a way to, let's find a way to make it work. And after that, you know, it took him, like, he was kind of confused because it was like someone just gave him some, like, genuine feedback, like how to better his life, essentially. A week later, he's like, Hey man, just want to tell you, you're a real one for that, you know. And it's it's such a small phrase, it's such a small compliment, but to me that meant the world because I felt like I was doing the right thing in genuinely caring about this athlete's future and know that wherever he's at, financially not able to do it, but he has his. He has his dream, and if he's going to do it, he'll follow, you know, what I'm telling him. So that was that was a big payoff for me. Well, and I, I mean, I don't think in any way, shape, or form that would be a fireball offense. I think that's doing right by the patient and the athlete, and, and in that situation, doing the right thing in the long run is going to work out for you more so because he makes it into the league or whatever, and now he's talking to other guys or other free agents, and it's like, hey, man, this guy's going to he's going to straight shoot you, and that's a hard thing to find in today's world where you're going to have honest, you know, feedback. That's not a positive or negative. It's the honest feedback and all, all that you were doing in that situation is putting the athlete's best interest in mind. And it will pay you back at some point in time. Obviously the compliment is, is, is hugely beneficial for, you know, that they realize that we did have their, that you had his best interest in mind, but I, you know, I don't think that that's anything significant. So I want to ask a question about like, working in the environment here at the sports institute with the combination of rehab professionals and your athletic training and physical therapists and then having the sports performance team or you know strength conditioning like talk a little bit about how that relationship works and the benefits of having both in-house because it's while we've talked at the huddle and we talk in our sports medicine class it's important to and it's great if you have them in-house. So many people don't have them in-house, but that doesn't mean that they can't learn from the example of what you all do every single day here when they're working, you know, with a strength and conditioning coach at another facility. So like the dynamic of yes. like having it in-house. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we're extremely fortunate, extremely, extremely fortunate with the strength team of Chip, Landon, and myself. Uh, first of all, I, uh, I want to shout out those guys because those guys are amazing. With that cohesiveness, with the and we are we we feel like we're pretty experienced and educated, but there's some level of security and you know out of our scope like that we'd have 
we, we think we know, but we have no idea, you know, uh, that working with physical therapists that either can confirm or challenge our ideas is super helpful when it comes to even healthy athletes. You know, like, hey, what do you think about this? We could do that in like two minutes. All right, see you later. Thank you. You know, and boom, we're gone. With the access to that, with the access to um, a referral base of athletes coming back from injury, return to sport, you know, it's very, very huge. Uh, you know, they, they, our therapists do a great job of telling us that we make their lives easier. You know, I think we, you know, they also make our lives a lot easier. It's just, it's something hard to communicate of how that happens, but there's just like this energy that's there. Again, challenging each other's ideas are also learning from them and seeing how they conduct their business, how they roll, and what are they trying, what are they doing. Uh, it, it was very inspiring to see. And I think a lot of facilities don't have that. You know, it, it's, it's or, or the, the ego's there, and they don't mesh well. And, and strength coaches are scared to admit that they don't know things, and physical therapists are scared to admit they don't know things. And, you know, there's a big you know, ego shift, you know, and, and trying to prove them different things, you know? So I think, you know, what, what athletes come in through the door, they'll get ego less people that care about them for the most part. Yep. Well, and I appreciate that you kind of brought up the non-injured, so to speak athlete, because I think one, we know that's what our athletes are used to, especially in the collegiate or professional level, they're used to an athletic training room environment where they can go in, get some spot treatment, get some treatment, then they're off with their strength coaches, they're off with practice, and they're very used to that. But I think it's important that we remind everybody that athletes can always continue to improve and elevate their performance. And so when you have rehab specialists like we do at the Sports Institute that are looking at movement patterns, I know you guys do that as well, notice maybe just like a deficit that right now they're not hurt. It's not, you know, they're still playing at a decent level. But we say to them, man, if you go work with Chip, Charleston, Landon, and you start working on some of that mobility, getting strength in that area, we're actually going to elevate your performance. And then kind of having those athletes go back and forth between doing just some spot treatments. I mean, yes, I'm older, but you know, we all know after we lift, after we play a sport, like we have some soreness and things that we need to work through. So having both elements of that in-house um, it's fun for me as I'm often here at the Sports Institute to see that collaboration. I think sometimes people can see it more at times in their minds if you don't work in this environment. You see it more with like an injured athlete. And I, I think it's important that everybody understands that even with an injured athlete, it's not like the PTs are seeing them up to month six and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, Chip, Charleston, Landon, now you guys were are going to take them. There's this constant working back and forth because we know that an athlete even if they've injured their lower extremity, there's things that they can do upper extremity. And so then our the performance team will kind of take over that. And so it's really cool to see how when it's in-house, which obviously makes it easier, we hope you can do it even if you you know have a strength coach that's not in-house with you, how you work together throughout the process, right? It's not a separate thing. It's maybe every day, every week, okay, I saw this, let's tweak this in PT, let's tweak this on the performance side. And so ultimate collaboration, right, is when we see that happening 
day in, day out, tweaking things on both sides. And so it's, it's fun to see both on the non-injured athlete and the injured athlete side, how you guys work in sync to get somebody to where they need to be. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know, bringing up the non-injured athlete and, you know, kind of, you know, saying that they, they have a home with us, you know, and, and we could bring back information to the therapist and say, Hey, can you check this out? We're going also going back to talking about the injured athlete and they not necessarily have to work, you know, a lower body extremity, but they could go upper body with us and feel like they're still getting that same push, the same stimulus in a very, very safe way that is, you know, overseen by the therapist, you know, probably put together by us, but overseen, which gives us, us comfort, therapist comfort, athlete comfort, and then there's buy-in right there. Yeah, and I think, you know, for those of our listeners who don't have strength and conditioning in-house, that just takes more overt communication between both parties so that there's, you know, in establishing clear communication, establishing clear guidelines, saying, hey, if it works for you to come over to my facility and 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 be here while I'm treating our mutual athlete, I would love for you to join so that we can talk about them together. And then I have the opportunity to come over when they're training with you and your facility so that you just see the mutual, you know, you see the facility, you get to know each other. And that just has the athlete's interest at heart. And that's one thing that I would encourage our listeners to do is extend that opportunity to say, I want to learn from you, not to take your job, but to have a better understanding of what you do so that when we have another athlete, you and I already have an understanding of each other. And all that does is make the athlete feel comfortable that we have their best interest at heart. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, first thing that comes to mind when you say when when you say that is an athlete, Jamar Taylor, that his concept and what I got from him is everybody eats. You know what I mean? So if you are networking and doing the right thing and genuinely show authenticity of wanting the athlete better and you show up to an athlete eval, athlete screen or a practice or anything like that, I think it shows a lot. But also, like at the end of the day, you still got to put food on the table. You have a network. And there's a there's there's a funnel there that you can, you know, kind of shoot fish in a barrel from, you know, and there's trusted team. And yeah, I think it's awesome. I will just add to Dan's point. When you work with a really good strength and conditioning coach, you will never think to yourself, I could do your job because every time I work with really good strength and conditioning coaches like the ones we have here at the Sports Institute, I just think. Thank God for you guys, because I could not program and do periodization the way at when I was treating as an athletic trainer. And so that is to your point, why it is that in the 1500s. I know it's amazing, isn't it? Damn. That is why it's so important to network too. if you don't have certain things in house to get out and do and see what people are doing, because I actually think you learn so much more about your own uh, boundaries of what you're capable of and what everybody else is doing and you realize you know what it's a good thing to have these resources this network to turn it over to because i'm not the one for certain things so like i said i'm very thankful to have people like you that we can just say hey please take this over yeah 
<laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, thinking about like talking about it more, right? And, and and I don't think I answered the question of how to find a great strength coach truly. Right? I'm sorry, I'm going back. I'm going hey, back okay. for more. That's okay. More. All right. More to say. I think the biggest red flag is someone that speaks in in all areas of life is someone that speaks in absolutes. Especially when the strength coach does that. Uh, I, I think you have to have a growth mindset in all areas of life, but strength and conditioning as well, especially with all the newer certifications, information that's out there, the, you know, the cool, sexy things to do, or these, you know, th these glasses be and, and balance on a BOSU ball and catch these balls, yep. tennis balls. Yep. You won't say that here. Yeah. You won't see that. Well, well, maybe. <laughs> no, you won't. I'm just kidding. Uh, but like people that speak in absolutes where this is totally bad. You should never do this. It's just like the, like, that's how you know that you're speaking to someone that is probably not open to suggestion or new ideas or, you know, have been in it too long. And that's, that's the way we always have done it. You know, not necessarily. It doesn't need to be like that anymore. So, uh, sorry, I went back to that question, but I think it needed to be addressed. No, I, I, I think you're, that's good. And I think what part of it is, is helping to educate the athlete and the family on the questions to ask going in. Mm -hmm. And in some of those things, like you just mentioned of things to really watch for of those absolutes, those hard truths. Well, this is what we've done for 25 years at this facility. Well, okay, wait, your facility still looks like it, it hasn't been upgraded in 25 years. So that might be a slight problem. And look like a, looks like a big five. Yeah. And, and some of those, <laughs> you like that one? Huh? Some of those things just have a, have a, yeah, great. They may have trained the most famous and whatever, but that was 25 years ago and they haven't evolved and adapted and not that research is everything, but there is a significant value in understanding all of the different components that athletes are navigating now, not just from a physical standpoint, but also from a mental standpoint. And, and we have to take that in consideration. So I, I, I'm appreciative that you circled back around because I think it's important for us and, and again, who our primary audience is as physical therapists to understand those things and to help from an educational standpoint of who their network is and then things to ask when they're seeking out who their network is expanding to and who they want to work with so that they're aware of some of those absolutes. And also maybe a little time for some critical self-reflection of what are my absolutes or do I speak in absolutes as I'm trying to talk to a patient or an athlete about why they need to continue to see me. Yeah. So I think it's a good reflection point for all of us. No, that's huge. So we want to thank you, Charleston, for being on the that, podcast. Dude, I thought we were just getting started. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we can have bad. you on. We're going to have you on for 150, 200, 250, all the big ones. All in 50s? Yeah. Yep. Only the 50s. That way you can do all the intros for them. You're going to hate me but you absolutely should join us for the huddle on April 5th and 6th where Charleston will be speaking. So I will say in an absolute that you need to take part in the huddle conference. I'll take that one. I'll take it. Come listen to Charleston, come talk with him more. I promise you, you will learn a ton. 
as you heard, he has a lot of experience and a lot to bring to the table. So we're really excited. Thank you again for speaking at the huddle and for being on the podcast today. And like I said, please join us at the huddle April 5th and 6th. Yes. Thank you for episode 100, two or three Ks. Yeah. Right. Uh, Excuse me. As always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback or topic suggestions, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app.